it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg. Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG Guys. Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omnichannel digital journey of brands, retailers, and of course, our esteemed guests. It's a new year on the CPG Guys, and welcome to January 2024. Happy New Year to all once again. And hope everyone had a well-rested holiday season. And now we're back at it mid-month January. Peter and I are just back from CES. And by now, you should have heard a recap of CES on our podcast. I'm your co-host, Shri. And of course, please listen to my daughter's music at www.riaraj.com. That's R-H-E-A-R-A-J. And follow the exciting adventures of my younger daughter at the new band, Cat's Eye, as one of the members from Hybe and Geffen Records on YouTube or Instagram and, of course, TikTok. My co-founder, Peter, is actually off to NRF and probably on the train on his way to New York City at this point, a loyalty and insights aficionado. Peter, we miss you on the show today, and Brian wasn't available. Before we get to our guests, we want to ask you to help spread the word about this community we've created in the CPG Guys. Beyond sharing our podcast with your friends, if you're using Apple Podcasts or Spotify as your preferred listening platform, please do leave us a rating as it helps feed the algorithm that makes us more findable by CPG and retail people just like you looking for entertainment and education. We're happy that the CPG guys is a part of an impressive collective of highly rated podcasts, including the CPG guys fast forward hosted by our very own Brian Gildenberg, CPG scoop with Risa and Jennifer and the FMCG guys with Daniel, Efrain and Christine. And finally, we're incredibly proud of our allyship with next stop whose mission is to advance the cause of women in business and to promote gender equality in the workplace. Next up has terrific educational and networking resources available to its members. And I, Shri, of course, serve as a board member of NextUp. Links to our podcast collective and our landing page on NextUp site may be found in the digital liner notes of this episode. So let's get on to our special guest. Our guest today is from Stride Consumer Partners, a private equity firm that specializes in partnering with talented and dynamic founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders to enable the next generation of great consumer brands. Founded in 2019 by a passionate group of experienced and successful investor operators, their unique approach brings together a fully integrated team of successful investors working alongside seasoned operators to help high growth and disruptive consumer products and services businesses hit their stride. Sharon Fox is one such leader and, of course, is Stride Consumer Partners' operating partner and founding member. Her team's focus on food and bev, beauty and personal care, active lifestyle, Multi-unit consumer services direct to consumer while providing growth equity with flexibility ranging from 10 to $150 million of equity in minority or majority transactions. Of course, we all know in the last two years, it feels like the entire private equity world of funding is dried up. That's what we're going to hit up today. Sharon has experience as CMO of Freshly. Wait a minute, Melissa and Doug. I actually remember that brand from 20 years ago when we had children living up in Connecticut. SVP of e-commerce at none other than Ralph Lauren. And of course, she spent time at Amazon via Quidzy. Prior from the branding world, aka my world, she was also at Unilever and Mondelez. Sharon, this is insane. You've touched some of the most elite brands in the world, retail and CPG. Welcome to the CPG guys. How are you? I'm great, Tree. Thanks for having me on the show today. I've so enjoyed listening to the podcast over the years, and I love how deep and the breadth of the different topics you go through with your guests. And so I feel honored to be here today. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for working with me on some scheduling snafus and actually doing this on a Sunday. So we deeply appreciate it. So great to have you join us today because I believe you will share new and exciting happenings for us in the private equity world of CPG brands. We hear the investments have dried up and you're here to bust the myth or maybe not. But before we get to the questions we've prepared for our conversation, would you please share with the audience a brief overview of what Stride Consumer Partners is? Sure. Strike Consumer Partners is an equity growth private equity company that partners with founders and executive teams who have created passion brands. We are deeply focused in the sectors that we operate in. And so we only invest and partner with brands in food and beverage, beauty and personal care, active style and outdoor, and then across some omni-channel go-to-market strategies, but also multi-unit and direct-to-consumer brands. Couldn't have found a better guest for our conversation today on private equity and upcoming brands. So we'll, of course, include links to your LinkedIn profile, the LinkedIn page, and your corporate website in the digital liner notes of this podcast episode so that the 90 plus percent of people listening to this episode on their mobile device can easily learn more as they listen. So let me kick it off with the first question. Can you share some insights into the current trend shaping the consumer goods industry that y'all are observing as a private equity firm investing in CPG brands? Yeah, I mean, it's been very interesting for me to watch over the years since I started my sort of career in brand at Kraft Foods way back when. Today, there is significantly lower barriers to entry for brands. And so the number of brands playing in specific categories or subcategories has increased exponentially. And as a result of that, the pace that consumers are exposed to new brands and services has literally exploded. And so has their willingness to try them. Like if I think back to my parents' generation, the same peanut butter brand that mom bought when I was five is the same one you find in her pantry today, Uh, but really different when we think about today's generation. And they've grown up with all of the different brands exploding into the market and discovering them across multiple different digital platforms and in-store. But what we've found is that if they try a new product and it doesn't really deliver on their expectations, they're going to be one and done. And so it's critical that product quality continue to rule the day. So you see a lot of brands come into the market and leave faster than they used to, as there isn't nearly as much upfront product testing in terms of if a product quality is going to meet the needs of the end consumer. Another interesting trend that I've been watching is how product benefits cross sector. So this is the interesting thing about being at Stride is we look at personal care and beauty and we look at food and beverage and active style and outdoor. And you kind of seen like the idea of like real fresh ingredients in human food, in pet food today. And then you see clean label ingredients in food and then in skincare and now in makeup and crossing into many other categories that consumers use. And you've seen like supplements and vitamins and minerals that passing into food products and now into skincare and other products. And so it's really interesting as we see those dynamics of these sort of macro, especially wellness trends that are passing through different sectors and through geography by geography. And we're touched just there on wellness trends. I think it's really interesting how those continue to impact and drive new brand launches and also innovation. And the way we think about it at Stride is it's really causing waves, waves that can disrupt categories. 
For example, if you look at what's happened in, in the snack aisle, the evolution over the last 10 to 20 years is just incredible in terms of how the waves of what is what consumers are seeking have changed so much over time. And then lastly, even within all of this evolution, we really find through a lot of the consumer insights research that we do that these must have sort of keep purchase intent drivers change slowly, if at all. And many of the core, like most important, tend to stay the same. So obviously in food and beverage, if you don't taste great, consumers are really not going to be loyal to your product over time. Oh, I couldn't agree more that if you're in a food brand, taste is everything at the end of the day, because, you know, in the variety of roles I've held in past lives at PepsiCo, we've explored um, very health and wellness oriented options. But if it didn't taste to the consumer satisfaction at the end of the day, what consumers said versus how they acted in store or online didn't actually come together on a curve. But um, Sharon, I'm curious. So obviously. That world has evolved. It's a very different world than it ever was. Brands obviously are coming out with all kinds of new efficacies. So thanks for sharing what those possibly could be. Now let's jump to the stride world, aka your company world. In your company though, how are you actually now gearing towards preparing for all those changes? Are you all drawing a line in the sand and saying, hey, let's not even talk to a brand whom you might be interested in investing in until you taste the product and you all feel good or you run a qualitative study that really gets back the answer for you? Like what strategies has Stride employed to navigate challenges in this landscape? Yeah. So I'm going to start with one thing and it's, it's really having customer obsession. And if you have customer obsession, it really drives strong results. And to ensure that the people who use your product have an amazing experience with your brand and I saw this really early on in my career while doing ethnographies. And then if you think about from a digital customer experience, it was just further immersed in this idea while at Amazon, who is extraordinarily customer obsessed. And I learned so much from them when I was there, from their obsession on day one with really thinking if we always start with the consumer and really meet and exceed their needs, then we'll succeed. And so that's one area. So we think about finding a deeply sort of underserved and sizable audience that is really dissatisfied and solving a pain point that they have and solving it better than anyone else consistently. And you will have a really high probability of succeeding with your brand and your product or your service. And to do that, you have to truly understand and walk in the shoes of your growth customer and do it frequently enough and exceed their expectations at every touch point with your brand. So we strongly also believe that brand development and brand building at its core has really not changed, but how you distribute products and how you market them, you know, what brands call go-to-market strategies have dramatically evolved behind disruptive mass adoption of new technologies, both hardware and software. And so for that reason, the type of marketing I did at the beginning of my career when I graduated from business school to what we did five years, 10 years ago has really evolved so dramatically behind sort of this need for continuous learning. And so these evolving sort of go-to-market capabilities really requires people and leaders who are sitting atop strategic plans 
and the way they're thinking about their execution to re-educate and network with subject matter expertise and just have the assumption that tools will launch and that existing tools will change and that you always have to be really curious about understanding and having your hands in the mix about what's changing with the current tools you use and what evolving tools are going to come to market. That's really different than marketing from years ago. And it requires your sort of leadership team to be really agile and leverage much more of a test and learn strategy approach, right? If you think about many years ago, we had these huge upfront media buys and you sort of locked in 90% of your marketing spend 16 months before you spent it. And today a brand needs to be able to have a lot more agility in terms of thinking about the different tools they want to use when they go to market. You know, in digital products development, a lot of digital products creators talk about minimum viable products. And I sort of stole on that to talk about minimum viable environments, which is you sort of have to be comfortable with starting with something that's not perfect because it's likely going to evolve and change as you learn what is the most efficient and effective way to market to your growth audience in a specific marketing channel or in a specific go-to-market strategy. And so it takes some time to find each brand's unique playbook and to be able to scale it really effectively and efficiently over time. And then lastly, one of the other biggest changes is that you really need to meet the consumer where they are. It's no longer true that if you build it, they will come. And I remember watching this explosion of all these different direct-to-consumer sites and subscription businesses. I was at Freshly and just having this eureka moment that there's no way the consumer is going to shop 30 to 40 different sites a week. And that consolidation was going to come, right? And the grocery stores and the mass retailers, they all realized that they have this massive opportunity to leverage technology and to give consumers a lot of options. You can come into the store, you can order online and have it delivered. You can order online and we'll put it in your trunk for you. And they realize the power of really meeting the consumer where they are. And then the consumer is like, okay, I can still get most of what I need in these five places every week, rather than the 30 that brands are expecting consumers to try to manage in a short period of time. So you kind of gave us a little bit about how Stride itself is meeting this changing world of how consumer goods are created these days and how you're prepping for it. I'm curious to know, though, are there specific criteria that you all at Stride prioritize when a brand talks to you? Like, is it P&L based only? Is it food brands at the end of the day, taste wins? You mentioned subscription briefly, which, of course, was a crazy world three years ago pre-COVID. Do they have to be omni-channel? Um, are you looking for distribution in-store? Like, is there a specific set of criteria? I mean, I honestly believe in my core that most brands that will successfully scale over their lifetime can't be distributed only in a single channel anymore. The customer journey is much more complicated and that brands have to meet the consumer where they are, which requires them to be in the different channels where their core growth audience is most often. And so I really do believe brands, by the way, I think starting in a mono channel makes a lot of sense. Get really good at it. 
And then when you feel like you've really figured out that channel and you better understand your growth audience and how he, she, or they shop, you can then be like, my next adjacent is here, right? And then my next adjacent is here. Sometimes brands get really excited and they roll too quickly. That also can cause a brand to stumble just by dividing their resources and their attention across too many new frontiers that they haven't yet had a chance to test and learn within. So what I'll take away is there's some comprehensive set of criteria that you're actually deploying. There's no one magic silver bullet, but I think one of the most important things that you said, and I could not agree more on is don't be a brand that's unichannel. Don't be just D2C. Don't be just in-store. Don't only be a third-party marketplace seller on a third-party platform. Like, Get your distribution with the maximum reach as possible. Is that a fair comment, Sharon? It's absolutely, absolutely fair. So Peter and I and Brian, when we look at modern D2C brands, one of the areas we always see some news or messages is sustainability and ethical practices. So can you discuss the role of those two, both sustainability and ethical practices in the consumer goods sector? And does it influence private equity investment decisions in general? Yeah, I mean, I think we define... Well, let me start by saying we tend to partner with founder-led brands and or brands that are on a mission. And so we tend to define ESG a little more broadly. So environment, social and governments in terms of how a brand or service is in some way improving the lives of their consumers, even if it's some small way uh, that really makes their lives better. And so for that reason, we really believe at Stride that authenticity matters. So does say, do. So if we're going to say or promise something, you really need to do it. What we notice, though, even within this environment of very mission-driven founders and teams, that with key purchase criteria, we tend to see that those with the highest importance need state still has to be delivered, meaning an ESG promise alone is not enough. And so, for example, if a better-for-you ice cream product still has to taste great and satisfy an indulgent need state, no matter what other ESG promises it delivers. Otherwise, on those alone, it won't succeed. And what I've sort of come to believe is that ESG practices really ladder up to extraordinary product quality and processes, how it's made, ingredients, third-party certifications, supply chain, how the brands really think about the entire end-to-end process of how they deliver their products to the end consumer. And with a fantastic high-quality product that meets or exceeds their needs and strong ESG promises can deliver sort of trust and drive stronger emotional connection with consumers. And so these factors can truly impact sort of brand advocacy, retention, and loyalty. And With that, with your internal team, it also really makes that team really passionate that they're working towards a vision and a mission that they believe in. And it's very inspirational to both the internal organization and the brand's community. And it's really all of these qualities together that can help birth a passion brand. And when Stride is looking to invest in a company and really meet different founders and their teams, that's what we're looking for. A passion brand has extraordinarily high advocacy, extraordinarily high loyalty, deep 
you know, word of mouth, high net promoter score, high lifetime revenue and lifetime value, where consumers are so excited when they discover the product, they want to go tell 10 people about it right away. You kind of just gave us a little bit of the playbook on if an entrepreneur wants to pitch their consumer goods startup to you, what they should do right there. So let me remind our audience that I'm speaking with Sharon Fox, a lifetime brand equity developer, operating partner and founding member at Stride Consumer Partners. Now I'm going to go where we uh, ask every guest here how technology has made a difference. Uh, Last few years, especially with the cookie deprecation thing going on, it's pretty obvious that technology plays a huge role in our lives. Now there's AI. AI touches virtually. uh, People think AI is yet to come, but AI touches many things we already do in our life every single day. In your experience, how has technology impacted the CPG industry? And then does it actually present opportunities for you? Is it every day becoming a steady challenge or is it just a mixed bag? Yeah, I mean, technology has definitely impacted the consumer goods industry. And I think it has brought both a lot of opportunities. And then with some of those opportunities is in the early days, they became sort of addictive in terms of what they could create in that doing so created challenges. So first of all, the technology creates immense amounts of behavior data that helps with audience segmentation and profiling. This allows for deep micro segmentation that didn't really used to exist. And that segmentation can feed into these really sophisticated platforms that have built in algorithms that are getting more and more sophisticated, especially with AI, as you said. But what happened is there was like a there still is a deep dominance in just a handful of these platforms, which were really driving up the cost for consumer products goods to really talk to consumers about their products and services. And in the early days, brand teams were so focused on mastering these platforms and allowing the algorithm to do a lot of their work for them that it really started to hollow out the brand, meaning you sort of went with what creative and what message, what image worked, even if that message altogether wasn't necessarily driving and building your brand. And so for a while, a lot of brand strategy, in my opinion, really fell to the wayside. And this also drove risks of all positives because You might be saying and promising something, but at the end of the day, you get those one and done consumers who try and doesn't really deliver what they expected after they experienced some of your advertising. And when you have the new privacy laws and large platforms being walled gardens and they started to change uh, some of the game, that there's been this massive shift and a pendulum swing. So I call it the rise and fall of the algorithmic marketer and the emergence of the full stack marketer has really changed. And even with those changes of really driving back into the basics of brand strategy and brand architecture, I still find that there's this old obsession with the wrong metrics. So a lot of times you see a brand that's spending top of funnel marketing and looking at conversion as their key metric of if that marketing working or not, where a key metric might be brand awareness or it might be consideration or it might be the amount of search volume that brand is now generating as it drives more and more people aware of their brand. So that is definitely a challenge. It's really making sure that you're measuring the right metrics based on the goal that you have as you're driving your CPG brand against your strategic plan and your go-to-market plan. And then assuming that there's sort of the same playbook 
that the same playbook is one size fits all is just not true anymore. So really that meeting the consumer where they are also means you can't just rely on scale platforms. You have to rely on some native platforms of where your specific growth audience is. So like when we worked with SimFishing, a lot of their prospective customers were on phishing apps, right? These were really different environments than just in some of the larger scale platforms, just as an example. And then lastly, there's this big changing power dynamic, which I think is both an opportunity and a challenge for brands, but gives consumers a lot more power in the equation. So going forward, you really have to combine the power of online data with physical store experience. And that's going to really game change go-to-market plans as a true understanding of more robust customer experience becomes widely understood and more specific to sector. I was at the NRF retail media uh, day yesterday where there was some great presenters talking about the now next future of what's happening in in in-store, physical and offline and how customer journeys, you're going to be able to put them all together uh, in a much more robust way. And in fact, like Retail media network spending expected to be close to $130 billion in 2024. And the landscape is just continuing to evolve with some of the early pioneers succeeding and new and new sectors um, coming onto the market. So I think some of those opportunities and challenges are what currently exist in the marketplace today are the ones that sort of I've been focusing on lately. So here on the CPG guys, we try to take those challenges and actually convert them into opportunities. And we ask you to do a CPG guys fast forward here, which is as technology evolves, you give a lot of these examples of how they can be a challenge or an opportunity. We're going to go into prediction mode for a quick second over here. And so how do you see this future CPG evolving, especially with the private equity lens you were in investing in startups, new brands in the CPG industry? Uh, how do you see this evolving with emerging technologies and changing consumer preferences? Are we going to see better packaging, more value for the consumer, better taste, more health and wellness? Or is it something completely radically different that has to do with the frictionless user experience of when I want it now and that's what I want, sitting on my couch watching a football game and I click and it shows up in eight minutes. What's your prediction? Is it all of the above? It's a lot of what you just said, Sri. I I think that, you know, there's this big fragmentation of consumer preferences and we've We've talked about that, like the the one size fits all where the market used to be two to three players doesn't exist anymore. And consumers today also really embrace and celebrate individuality. And so, you know, with the technologies we've talked about with this greater fragmentation allows for more niche audiences. And as consumers care more and more about wellness, their expectation as these number of segments has exponentially grown is that they're going to really seek products that really cater to their specific needs and their expectation is going up that they're going to really exceed their expectations and be highly satisfied with those experiences. So I believe that technology will help unlock this specific individualized nutrition plans or whatever it is that someone is seeking. And it will also start to generate shopping lists more automatically. If you like this, you'll probably like this. Or if these other types of healthy recipes, like here's all the ingredients you need so you can cook this at home. And the market, like we just discussed, is not just online or in-store, but the channels are really becoming seamless and the shoppers are really utilizing both. The resurgence of first-party data is incredibly important. And those that have it are going to leverage it and allow brands to make smarter, more effective and efficient decisions. 
And like for that reason, getting on this e-shopping list and this reorder or shop from my previous order functionality is just going to grow in importance, especially as list management is going to start crossing from online and in-store and can be integrated as some retailers are already doing with their loyalty and shopper marketing programs. And then lastly, I think we have to talk about AI and I'm definitely not an expert in the space. This is one area where... It's our favorite word on the CPG guys for the last six months. Yeah, I mean, we, we got to talk about it. I'm not an expert, but trying to get smarter on it. But I really think how consumers access information is about to change much more voice activated with the expectation it's going to get more and more personalized. Um, and then on the flip side, how consumer goods companies market and create content and user experiences are really going to change. There's so many unbelievably robust AI tools that are already available across some leading SaaS technology that many of our partner brands use. And just the amount of information every month with more and more capability coming out, it's going to be a big learning opportunity and challenge for many brands. No debate over there. So all this learning you've had in your career, working on some of the largest brands and retailers in the world, and now investing at Stride and seeing multiple brands come your way. I'm sure you've made some successful investments and some you're probably scratching your head about, but can I ask you to share a success story of a brand that actually has been a positive one for both you and the brand? Yeah. And so we can't talk about our investment results, but I'm I'm happy to share a brand uh, where our partnership, we saw this brand just deeply succeed and two co-founders really delivered on their mission. So I'll tell the story of Yasso, which is just was such a fun brand to work with and to partner with the two co-founders, Drew Harrington and Amanda Klain. But it's such a fun story. And how they started, for those that don't know, Yasso is a frozen novelty that is the primary sort of point of difference is that it's made with Greek yogurt. And in the early days, you know, Yasso was really growing based on this amazing trajectory with their distribution growth. And then a very uh, new, innovative, uh, disruptive, better for you ice cream brand hit the market and disrupted distribution growth, not just for Yasso, but so many brands in the ice cream aisle as it was just exploding and requiring a lot of shelf space and being given a lot of shelf space by retailers. But what was really interesting is that Amanda and Drew and their team really knew that their repeat rates and their loyalty, like some consumers who once they tried repeated was off the charts. And so what they did is they pivoted to really driving growth within their current distribution. And the way they did that is part of the fun story of some of the work we did with them, that they did segmentation work. So they knew their growth audience and their psychographics inside and out and felt very confident that the size of that segment was large enough for them to have a lot of growth runway. They really thought about their positioning. So when Yasso started, they thought of their marketplace as better for you, frozen novelties, then better for you, ice cream. Then they decided they were going to go after snacking, right? And when you think about that shift in one's frame of reference was just massive for unlocking growth for them. And so they really thought about permissible snacking. And to do that, they realized they had to really focus on their shelf impact. And they, at one point, their share of shelf, they had... 
80% of a freezer door across most of their largest retailers. And so, Shri, to your question, their packaging mattered. Their category management mattered. What products were primarily on the shelf with really strong data to back up when they were having these top-to-tops with their partners around what was the right variety? They really also focused on merchandising and what I'll call OSA on shelf availability, having the right products in stock in the right places. So they really had to work hard on their supply chain capabilities. And then lastly, innovation. You know, we often tell a lot of our partners, you have to go slow to go fast. And that first innovating most closely in your adjacent categories as a brand and within flavor and package formats can really help to get that share of shelf to where your you know, share of market and the disruption that you can have in the category starts to really take off. And for them, once they reframed to snacking and they came up with like an ice cream sandwich and these poppables, and they really started delivering on the format and the user need cases and occasions that just saw the brand just explode and very efficiently as well. So it was a amazing job by that team. And it was so much fun to partner with them and and watch them go through the different life cycle of their growth objectives. But what was just such a pleasure was really watching them have conviction in their strategy and their brand positioning and really have conviction in their mission of what they were trying to deliver to the end user. And it's just such a fun brand story to tell. You're making me want samples now. All this computer has, uh, I can't keep it in my freezer drawer. My um, that said, I remember the story of Halo Top ice cream and how it came and dominated the market. We had Doug Bouton on the show maybe a year, year and a half ago, and they were just about to sell it. And of course, it was a highly successful exit. Doug then went on to do some other thing, and he was on the Shark Tank recently pitching something else. So. Maybe if you come here on the CPG guys, maybe the bank come here and tell its story as it continues to grow what's going on. And Peter, Shri, and Brian would love to taste the sample. So feel free to send it to the CPG guys. Just kidding, guys. So I'm going to wrap it up here with maybe what I think is a very important question and the most important question on the show, and that is brand marketing. So you can create a great brand. You can have great taste. You can start and get distribution and scale it pretty quickly. But if you don't know how to talk to a consumer, and that too in today's modern ways, which obviously linear TV is a thing of the past, linear advertising is a thing of the past. Some days it even feels like digital conversations are a way of the past and social is everything. So what is your recommendation to brands in general for today's modern marketing playbook? And if you want to be successful, what do you need to do? Yeah, so... One of my things that I sort of get on myself about is this notion that there's sort of performance marketing and other marketing. All marketing has to perform. And, you know, I understand how it evolved that way. But my best advice for brands is that all marketing has to work together. And there needs to be a red thread from your brand strategy that pulls down into all of your marketing. And that means when you're thinking about brand marketing, product marketing, and performance marketing, that you need to connect the dots between all of those campaigns and all of the assets. So you're fully sort of thinking about full funnel marketing. So if you're running a brand awareness campaign and you're showing your hero products in that campaign, 
you should also be running product level marketing on those hero products that pulls down and furthers the brand storytelling and the narrative around those products. And that product marketing today is very different than what it was yesterday. There might be influencers that can tell your product story really authentically and better than you can. There might be sampling. Is your product something that's so you know different and new to market, but once people try it, you have them. Then you have to think about what along that path to purchase really is going to work for your brand. And then with performance marketing, performance marketing is no longer only digitally based. It is any type of marketing where you're optimizing to a measurable metric. So for example, like I look at coupons as performance marketing. What's your redemption? What are they driving? Right? Uh, you know, if you have a video that you put out there, how many people have viewed it? Um, but there's without a home today and a lot of channels are evolving. So allowing marketers to have the ability to have many more metrics that they're looking at. But overall, I think that the brand marketing funnel is purposely fluid and you have to think, what is my customer journey going to look through end to end my marketing and make sure that you're showing up where you need to? to drive awareness, consideration, purchase intent, repeat purchase, loyalty, and advocacy through that full customer journey. As that's where I see brands hit a flywheel that really starts to spin and they start to accelerate and grow both more effectively, but in a key way, very efficiently. Because as your brand grows and you scale marketing, it's really can be very challenging if you start running out of the ability to spend enough money to keep up with your growth because you haven't found that one plus one equals three solution where you have, you know, in these old marketing mix models, they used to call it unexplained momentum. But that unexplained momentum is what comes from really fantastic full funnel integrated messaging from beginning to end. Couldn't agree more. There's no excuse, literally. To not be in the business of full fall and marketing today, especially when retail media exists and you can go all the way from impressions and acquisition up top, all the way to conversion at the bottom, including basket abandonment data. If you seek it, the key word is if you seek it, but Jared, we have a problem because most marketers are trained on Philip Kotler all the way back from marketing 5104 and MBA school from still using the books from 25 years ago on the Four Ps. The four Ps have radically changed. There's an S called social in the mix. My plea to marketers is be modern, be curious, be very externally focused. Look at the landscape around you. And that's kind of the story you told us today, which was awesome. Let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content simply by going to a website and typing cpgguys.com. And if you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to a community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgas.com. And maybe you can join us on this podcast just like Sharon did. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgas.com in the navigation bar on the top right-hand side of the website. Why this is important is you dictate who comes on the show. You shape this. You'll already know the story here. So I can't thank our 27,500 LinkedIn followers for the dedication with which you listen to the show, the DMs, the messages, meeting us in person at trade conferences. Without you, there is no show. We know that's a big number on LinkedIn. Peter, me, and Brian cannot be more grateful. 
Sharon, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show and touch the world of branding, new brands, startups. We've been waiting for an episode like this for a while, and hence we fast-tracked it. Normally, people wait three months to get on the show, but we really wanted to get this one out in January, given where the private equity climate is these days. I can't thank you enough for joining me on a Sunday. Likewise, Sri, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend, and thanks again. And it was so much fun. I loved our conversation today. Folks, that's a wrap. We'll see you on another episode of the CPG Guys. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.